lots and lots of spoilers. Alright, you marmosets! Bust that pack! Cap that hooch! When I say jump, you say what color, sir? This week we're busting into another episode of Whitewashing, you Margarets! We're talking about white actors playing characters of color. Do you get me, Marsh Rats? Schlockin' mode! Slice and dice! Pork and beans! Hey, this war movie dialogue is pretty easy, huh? Don't I mean, at ease, Momraths! <laughs> Our objective today is to make it through 2008's Ben Stiller-directed opus, Tropic Thunder. Now, say it with me. This is my podcast. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My podcast is my best friend. I have no other friends. I am so lonely and desperate to have anyone hear anything I have to say. I'm right here. I need a minute. I need a minute. (laughs) Yuppers, we're kicking it off with a... Sort of war movie, kinda, maybe, which has made it onto our list because, well, um, one of the characters is done, uh, shows up in the movie at, look, Robert Downey Jr. does almost the entire movie in blackface, okay? But the movie itself seems aware of how offensive that is, so that makes it okay, right? Right? Hmm. Well, we're glad you're joining us on this police action. I'm your host, Captain Major General Admiral Cobra Commander Max Levine. And over there, adding more ears to his necklace, is that super special awesome forces commando, Puce Beret Mike Luce. Sound off, Maglite! I have kung fu grip. No, you don't. (laughs) Why do I suddenly feel like having a ham sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Like some eggs with that? (laughs) Ham <clears throat> but uh, first off, let us talk about last week's poll question. If I could interrupt, could we first talk about no, last you can't. week's poll so, question? <laughs> no, you cannot. We know, sorry, we don't have time for that. We have to get to last week's poll question, uh, which was, what is the first movie you remember seeing in an actual theater? And apparently a lot of people have actually seen movies in theaters because we got a lot of responses. Wow. Yeah. Uh, from... Dave was Pinocchio. In 1939? Yes. 1940? You saw the original when it came out. Wow. Uh, from The Wheeze, The Lion King. I was four years old. I barely remember going, but it was the old Star Theater in Rochester. Rochester! <laughs> now Rochester, which is now Imagine with an E. The E stands for liquor, which they sell. <laughs> from Val, our genetically related listener. Our. Very well, I, yes, we, we are a unit. We are one. We are of the body, don't, Landrew. Don't talk about my unit. <laughs> <laughs> I never would. I want some Mar- ham. <laughs> I want all the ham. <laughs> From Val, yes, Mary Poppins at the Embassy Theater in Waltham. Ah, yes. I have only the haziest of images. I was not quite three. Definitely remember going, though. From Keith Wright. I believe it was the Jungle Book animated version, thank God, in <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. And his second movie was Pocahontas. His third was Toy Story. More than we asked for, a couple extra bumpy bucks for that. Ah, Pocahontas, the story of that wayward Polish girl as she traipsed across Europe. <laughs> yep. With, with her friend, the talking accordion. Uh, from Dan, Sam Peckinpah's The Getaway. 
I was maybe seven or eight, and my folks took me because I think they couldn't get a sitter, and we'll be calling the DCS on them real soon. Taking a seven-year-old to a Peckinpah movie. Mr. Sam Peckinpah. Uh, Matt Reisman tells us also The Lion King. Uh, He thought there might have been one before that, but all the other movies he remembers seeing early actually came out in 1995. We saw a lot at the Dollar Show. From Jess Miller, I think it was Jurassic Park 2, little whippersnapper. At least that was the first I remember it would have been at a theater in the Rochester, another one at the Star, maybe. Uh, from Aten, Aten. Aten, excuse me. Uh, McCullers, the North, at the Northwest, traumatic films where co-stars or, where, or heroes died and scarred me. Yeah, I had to look that one up. It was actually about a dog. It was a dog film, and apparently they thought it was rabbit or something, and so they oh. ended up killing the dog, I believe. So Here. I can understand why that would be true. Yeller, no! Mm. Bumby's, Bumby's mom! mom. <laughs> uh, from Haley Paulson, if it's the first movie we have any recollection of, I'm joining your millennial Lion King crew. <laughs> but my mother informs me the first movie I actually went to was Aladdin which happens to be the first movie I have a memory of watching on TV at home, but I was too small to actually remember the theater trip. From Vince, our international contingent, House of my first movie was Pinocchio at a mall at a cinema. See, that, that's how you know he's foreign. In a mall, <laughs> my parents left me and my cousins in while they shopped. I think it might have been a double feature with The Love Bug. Oh, Lord. Or, what a combo. Yeah. That would have been a Disney afternoon, though. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been the computer wore tennis shoes, strongest man in the world. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Many, many. Flubber. One of the flubbers. And from Cheese Boy himself, Ned, embarrassingly enough, the first movie I remember seeing in theaters is Space Jam, <laughs> which I dragged my dad and granddad to. I am so sorry. <laughs> See, oh, Ned, you should be. See our previous episode on Space Jam. Well, that was it. Thank you all. There is Bumpy Bucks galore for everyone and the Bumpy Hut cal- catalog. Appreciate the, uh, the, uh, all the responses. How about you? Uh, my, the one, first one I remember, I believe, was Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and I remember it because I was a very, very small child. And I was terrified by the Blue Meanies. And they had to take me out of the theater. And I had to sit in the lobby until it was over. See our previous episode on the Yellow Submarine. What about you? Uh, so my sister remembers one differently than I do. To be fair, she's three years older, so her memory of my younger years is probably a lot better than mine. The first movie I have any recollection of going to see, and I was hoping I might see somebody else, although quite honestly, there's not as many older listeners, and sadly I'm an older listener, uh, was it a drive-in it was at oh. the Fresh Pond Drive-In. The first movie I remember going to was Dirty Harry. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, Just the thing to take a small child to. To be fair, my sister and I were in the backseat of our 64 Plymouth. Yes, we actually had a 64 Plymouth. Wow. And I remember us being back there and having our little blankies and our little pillows and stuff. And I remember a cartoon with a cat in it. And then I remember distinctly falling asleep. So while I was technically there, I don't really... Now, that would have uh. been 1969, I believe, so it would have been four, so it's about right. Uh, I'm guessing same thing as uh, uh, one of our, our listeners did, couldn't find a... Uh, um, or Dan couldn't find a babysitter, so our parents took us to Dirty Harry. Um, the embassy is probably correct. It's not the embassy that's there now. It's actually the embassy that's where there's a hole still on on uh, main St- uh, moody street in waltham and it was probably chitty chitty bang bang my sister said we went and saw it three weeks in a row which quite honestly 
probably true. Yeah. So. Well, again, thank you for all that. And uh, our poll question for this week, is there any comedy, any comic movie, that made you laugh so hard that your face actually hurt? I'm not talking metaphorical. I have one. I'll talk about it next week. Yeah. You actually strained the muscles in your face. <laughs> I, I really would like to know if anyone else has experienced that. Yeah. And, and tell us the pain that you suffered, too, by all means. So Deep, deep pain, yes. Yeah. And so that's it for that. Thank you very much. At the end of the show, we'll tell you how to uh, answer these questions if you don't already know, which most of you already do. But we'll tell you anyway, because we like to. It is one of the few things in life that give us joy. Few, hmm? few things. Can I just break in here and ask, is there any trivia this week? Why, yes, there is. Trivia for Tropic Thunder. The show. The budget of this movie was $92 million. That yeah. is quite a lot for a comedy. Yeah. Worldwide gross was $195 million, oh. which is, is pretty good, but it's not was not a smash hit, which is why we've never seen Tropic Thunder 2 yet. Uh, if you're interested, no, this was not filmed in Myanmar or Laos. It was filmed in Hawaii, ah. that famous Central Asian country of Hawaii. Yeah. Ben Stiller, who directed this, first came up with the idea for the film while he was working on Empire of the Sun. He said in interviews at the time that he had friends who acted in Platoon, 1986, a movie he auditioned for and was rejected for and Hamburger Hill in 1987, and they'd go on and on about these intense boot camp preparations and simulations of war these projects involved, as well as how it made them feel like real soldiers. And Stiller thought this was hilarious because he thought being an actor in a war film is nothing like being a soldier in a real war. So good on you, Ben, because I'm pretty sure you're right. Wait, he was in Empire of the Sun? Yes, he was. He was one of the kid's friends, one of the New York guys. Ah. Hmm. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was very reluctant to take the role in this film because he felt wearing makeup to look African-American was offensive. Well, he was not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He's generally considered a fairly smart man, and um, I think this is, uh, except for actually taking the role, I think this actually proves this. He ultimately accepted the role because he liked the script. Okay. Did he? And wanted to wanted to work with Ben Stiller and Jack Black. Okay, one of those people I can see wanting to work with. Yeah. Uh, like his character Kirk Lazarus, Robert Downey Jr. is a method actor, and he stayed in character as Lazarus and Sergeant Osiris, even while the cameras weren't rolling. According to to Downey. The character, Lazarus, was based on a combination of Russell Crowe, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Colin Farrell. Okay. Yeah, I, I can actually see a little of all of those. Originally, by the way, the, he was the character was supposed to have an Irish accent, I guess more like Colin Farrell, but Downey did a better Aussie accent and had was used to improving in that accent. I think it actually makes more sense because there is this sort of wave of Aussie actors yeah. that's been coming over since the 90s, so I think it actually fits better than Yeah, Irish. I think it worked. Uh, the Southeast Asian gang, the Flaming Dragon, yeah. in this movie, which was led by a preteen boy, is modeled after a real organization <laughs> called God's Army, a guerrilla army in Myanmar. This group was led by twin brothers whose names I am going to mispronounce, Johnny Toe, 
H-T-O-O is how it's anglicized, and Luther Hutu, who were nine years old when it was founded in 1997. Johnny and Luther were very fond of action, American action movie heroes, especially Rambo. Because, sure, why, yeah. it, why in Myanmar would you not be interested in an American character who goes around shooting Asian people? Uh, the water buffalo that uh, Jack Black rides turned out to be pregnant. <laughs> yeah, the cast pregnant and crew... with Jack Black? <laughs> no, no, it did not give birth to Jack Black, although that would have been funny as hell. The cast and crew found out that it had been pregnant when they came to set one morning and found it nursing a newborn calf. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Ben Stiller says that nearly all the aspects of the Les Grossman character, the the studio executive played by, I think, an unrecognizable Tom Cruise, including the dancing and the look of the makeup, Stiller said that it all came from Tom Cruise. He developed all of it. Uh, He also, uh, in addition to the more obvious makeup effects, on Cruz's face and head and the extra hair on his chest and arms. A lot of extra hair. Yeah. He also decided to play the character wearing oversized prosthetic hands. And I guess this is supposed to be cute. The name, if you think about the name and you francophone it, Les Grossman, Les Grossman, translates in French to big hands. Ah, but wow, what a stretch. Tom Cruise playing an egotistical, power-hungry, crazy person. The man is a pro. The man is a pro. What a stretch. Uh, Many have speculated that Tom Cruise based his performance as a vulgar movie mogul, which is kind of redundant, on Sumner Redstone. He and Cruise had a public falling out after Redstone had Paramount Pictures terminate the development deal with Cruise. His physical development was more likely based on this movie's producer, Stuart Kornfeld. Oops. I th- I thought, and this is showing my age, that it was based on an old school Hollywood producer from, I guess, the 70s and 80s named Joel Silver, hmm. who was known for being incredibly foul-mouthed, hyperkinetic, and loud. Hmm. Uh, Stiller was not originally supposed to play Speedman. He was playing, planning himself to play uh, Rick Peck. The, uh, his agent, the part who is played by Matthew McConaughey, and the t- part of Tug Speedman would have been played by Keanu Reeves. Huh. Yeah. Let that sink in. What a different movie that would have been. And that I, would have been. I can't I don't know if it would have been better or not. I'm not sure. It probably would have made Speedman's character a lot more likable, because, you know, Keanu, whatever else you say about him, he can be very likable. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Jeff... Fats Portnoy was written with Jack Black in mind. It was really written for him, and the, the character is partially based, and you can kind of see this on Chris Farley. Yeah. Now we're talking about how offensive this movie is, considering there's a character in blackface, but this also upset a lot of other people, particularly a b- number of disability ad- advocacy groups who criticized the simple Jack subplot, the movie within a movie, <laughs> where Ben Stiller's character plays sort of, a mentally disabled man. The film includes clips of the fictitious movie reenact- and is reenacted by Stiller, which is actually one of the funniest parts of this movie. Uh, scenes between Robert Downey Jr. and Stiller drew particular scorn, and it, there is a particular scene, it is co- it, which is called the full retard, I'm sorry, speech, it, largely because of 
you know, this, you, I didn't think this was true in 2008. It was, I didn't think it was still acceptable to use the word retard, mm. but it certainly isn't now. No. Uh, yeah, I know that scene. <laughs> yeah. The producers took down, they actually, was a, there was a simple Jack website, and it drew such ire that the producers took it down and actually talked about altering the movie and then didn't. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're um, offending all these other people. Why can't we ref- offend these people? According know. to one of the writers, the scenes were supposed to satirize emotionally exploitive uh, depictions of mental disabilities, which there have been a whole ton of, especially in the 80s and 90s. Rain Man, Forrest Gump, the one, uh, the one that's uh, actually mentioned, I Am Sam. Well, all of those are uh, mentioned. Being There, Radio. Yeah. Yeah. Now the trailers in the movie, the, the fake trailers in the beginning may be for fake movies. There's one little real life bit in the trailer for Satan's Alley, the period piece with Kirk Lazarus and Tobey Maguire, <laughs> who act, who showed up for like one day. Uh, Tobey Maguire is credited as an MTV Movie Award winner for Best Kiss. Oh, that's true. He actually won that for Spider Man. <laughs> that's the one true thing in this movie, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that is. Uh, the film's title is a play on Tropic Lightning, which is the nickname of the 25th Infantry Division, which has seen action in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, South e- Southwest Asia, Afghanistan, and Iraq, among a lot of others. Oh, cool. So they offended them, too. Good. Yes, I'm sure they did. The division was the subject of the movie The Thin Red Line Ooh. and Platoon. Have you seen The th- Thin Red Line? No, I have never seen that. It sounds a little intense. It is very, it's really good. Most people haven't heard of it. I saw it. It's one of those films that doesn't even have credits to start. It just drops you in. And it is very intense. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Ben Stiller and Tom Cruise had also planned to team up on a Hardy Boys movie (laughs) with Sean Levy to set to direct. But it was scrapped due to budgetary concerns, and I would like to take a moment of silence where we give thanks that that happened. <laughs> Thank and you, we're budget. done. That's yeah. it for trivia? Yeah, uh, not quite. Oh. Uh, despite all of the violent action in the plot, and there's a lot, there are only three on-screen deaths. Director Damien Cockburn, the panda, <laughs> and a bat. Ah, That's right. it. And, of course... Mike's all-time favorite movie effect, the Wilhelm scream, <sighs> scream is used twice. Yes, it is, and I caught yes. both times, and it annoys the... Remember, folks, if you don't know what the Wilhelm screen is, do not, do not look it up. Yeah, you'll never be able to not hear it. Ugh. That's it. There's, there's a bunch of other stuff, but uh, that, that's most of it. Yeah. So, plot time. <laughs> plot, oh boy. <laughs> Deep breath. (laughs) Tropic Thunder. The the myth. The legend. The mythic legend of a movie that is legendary and mythic. We follow the feeble attempts of rookie English director Damien Cockburn. Pronounced that way, by the way. It should be Coburn, but it's pronounced Cockburn. Right. Played by Alan Partridge, knowing me, (laughs) knowing you. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. As he attempts to adapt a Vietnam War mem- memoir by veteran Four-Leaf Tayback, played by the dissolute Nick Nolte. <laughs> uh, I got pl- puke on my shoes. Uh. Playing very much to type. The major <laughs> obstacles? His superstar actors. Tug Speedman, Ben Stiller, an over-the-hill action star, 
Alpha Chino, Brendan T. Jackson, a rap star trying to cross over to movie star, Jeff Portnoy, Jack Black, an out-of-control, gross-out comedian trying to play a serious role, and Kirk Lazarus, Robert Downey Jr., an Oscar-winning method actor who has gone so far as to have his skin darkened surgically so he may play an African-American character. Yeesh. In a desperate attempt to control his, this collection of egomaniacs, Cockburn, at the urging of Fourleaf, decides to dump his actors alone into the jungles of the Golden Triangle, which he would have known if he knew what the Golden Triangle was, to attempt to capture realistic performances. However, a bit of a pyrotechnic mishap leaves his actors stranded in the middle of a drug war and at the mercy of the terrifying Flaming Dragon Gang. Can these wacky, rather offensive stereotypes pull it together enough to survive this harrowing ordeal? Will they pull off convincing performances? Can we ignore the fact that Downey plays nearly the entire movie in blackface? Is Tom Cruise as Les Grossman possibly the best thing in the movie? Chug down a can of booty sweat and let's find out. The low down. All right, real quick, I got to make a correction and an addition. Um, okay. Cockburn was not played by Alan Partridge. He's played by Steve Coogan. Who is Alan Partridge as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and always I, will be. I didn't recognize him and he's great. I, if yeah. you, Steve Coogan is surprisingly talented and has a real range. Yeah. And the other is you left out Kevin. Oh, but my mates call me Kev, played by Jay Baruchel. Yeah, Ke- Kevin Sanders, because I'm sorry, Dave Bar- uh, is it Jake Baruchel? Jay, or Jay. Jay. Jake Baruchel, Jay. who at that point... Was Jay was not that big a star. That may be. The sad thing is, he's about the only likable character in the movie. <laughs> he kind of is. He, he kind of is. And he's also clearly the most professional of yeah. them, regardless uh, for, of, of Captain Method actor there. For those who don't know, Jay Baruchel's probably best known as the voice of Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon. Thanks for nothing, you useless reptile. <laughs> Which he does a great job at. And he thankfully, does. he's lesser known for being in a dreadful film called The uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice with oh, Nicolas Cage, which That's is right. a film that, yeah. <laughs> so, One other thing, we were talking about how if this movie, first of all, regardless of the quality, it is offensive on a number of levels to a number of people I had not remembered, setting aside, and this is a big set aside, that we have a character, a white guy playing a black guy. Yeah. You notice what else, what is missing from this movie? Uh, I don't think there's a single woman in the film. There are. Only one of them has a name, and she has one line. and she, her, That's Vanessa, and that is Richard Peck's secretary. Quite. There are no major female characters. There are no characters with last names, and no female characters who are integral to the plot. I would like to say that I think that's actually a good thing. And the reason I say that is I think it shows that all women were smart enough not to be in this <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, really... I can't see a woman, a female character in this film being treated as anything other than exactly what you'd expect them to be treated like in this film. And I'm glad yeah. we didn't have to see that because we got to see enough other things. So, uh, By the way, I would like to point out Kirk Lazarus, the character, is described as five-time Best Actor winning actor. No one in the history of the Academy Awards has won five acting awards. Hmm. The record is four. You know who's got it? It's probably somebody I should know. I'll give you a hint. It's a woman. 
Uh, is it, um, oh man, I, I see your face. The, getting old sucks, let me tell you. Uh, uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Um, no, it, no, I would have thought Meryl Streep, Meryl but Street. she's only got, she's only got three. Who's, who, who is it? Uh, you, you'll kick yourself. It's Catherine Hepburn. Oh, no, man, the loons. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> I do a great Flawless impression there. Great Catherine Hepburn. And Max, as you might, you don't, I, I, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. People did not notice. We got comments saying so. But at the end of last week's episode, I was Max. <laughs> oh, you just ruined the magic. <laughs> don't worry, Norman, I won't do it again. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I, I gotta say, the trailers, the fake trailers in the beginning, are pretty good. They threw me. I thought because it was watching it on Amazon Prime, and Amazon Prime likes to show you ads. And yeah. I clicked past one, going, "I don't want to watch a preview for another movie. I want to watch whatever this is." And then is the first one the booty sweat thing? Yes, that's <laughs> the ad for. Yeah, Al Pacino is pushing this drink. I don't even want to guess. I don't know if it's a soda or an energy drink called. Booty sweat, and clearly nobody ran that past a focus group because is that supposed to be appealing? <laughs> I don't know, but I actually believed it. <laughs> oh, like, did you also catch the food product he sells, the Busta Nut Bars? Yeah, that's when I was like, oh, okay, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe because yeah. I kept looking for the little, because <laughs> little, there's usually a little button that allows you to skip ads, and I'm like, yeah. where's the oh, skip okay. ad? Bu- oh, okay. Now, if I was in a theater, I would have got it. So in a way, it works better on a streaming service because you don't you you fall for. I did anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, they are very convincing, and the uh, the one for Scorcher Six, that one was a little bit yeah. obvious because come on, they're even. I swear to God, the narrator sounds it sounds bored because yeah. even the tagline is, "Here we go again, again, again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he's got the twin babies strapped to him, and he's going to be an action but, hero with twin babies. And whatever. now the one for Satan's Alley, which is kind of, <laughs> yeah, gotta love that title. That's pretty convincing. Uh, clearly about two gay medieval monks, right? So of course it has to be called something like Satan's Alley, as opposed to yeah. the love of a rose, or you know Some, something else yeah, like that, yeah. or you know what's under your cassock. <laughs> yeah, it's ba- it's actually not a bad Can I touch way to your set up beads. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is an erotic shot with involving a set of rosary beads. Okay, wait. I'm a gay man. Yeah. That scene, and all they do is, like, he reaches over and he first just sort of grabs the belt of the robe, and then he's stroking the beads. I was uncomfortable. Did that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> a little, yes. <laughs> it's like when the puppets were screwing in Team America. I was like, I feel <laughs> funny watching this. Or I actually saw uh, uh, somebody I used to work with was in a, a production of Avenue Q, and there's a uh, scene where the puppets are going at it, and I was like, I don't know if I should be watching this. Yep, but I'm yeah, crude, it's so. it's awkward. It's awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's and the uh, the uh, this trailer for uh, Portnoy's movie oh, Fatty's <laughs> Fart Two, which is I mean they're talking Chris Farley that that preview anyway is a clear shot at Eddie Murphy the clumps right, you know the, and yet again I'm watching going yes I completely believe someone would make a movie like this yeah I mean yeah I mean. Here's the thing. I love fart jokes. Fart jokes kill me. Even yep. that was too much for me. 
Yeah. It just yeah. got to the point where I just was like, they're really doing this. It's literally not even jokes. It's somebody just rolling onto their back, kicking their legs and farting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, that does sound like comic gold, but, <laughs> you know, the point, yeah. I think the point was to go over the top and go, wow, even this isn't funny. Unfortunately, that might be a theme for this film. Oh, I'm giving it away. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, first off, the opening sequence where they're filming the Vietnam movie I gotta again. You gotta give them credit. That's one of the things about this movie. It hits a lot of beats really well. Right. This looks exactly not like the Vietnam War, but like a Hollywood version of the Vietnam War. Right down to that nonsense. I'm sorry. This is really a pet peeve. But Jack Black's character is carrying an M60 machine gun. This is thing is nicknamed the Pig, by the way. <laughs> wait, and wait, he's the, firing the gun. <laughs> The gun is nicknamed the pig. Oh, okay. And he's firing it like Rambo with one arm. The M60 is a two-man weapon. It's usually mounted on a vehicle, or you put it down on the ground and use a bipod. Nobody carries it. You can't. It's a heavy-duty machine gun. Maybe you could fire it, but you wouldn't hit anything. It's the same where they're like firing off the M16s with one hand. You can do it. You won't hit crap, but you can do it. And it's doing every cliche yeah. of like, oh, yeah, I'm using my pistol on the battlefield and I'm firing behind my back and I'm still hitting people. Uh, and it's got, you know, the guy who trying to hold his intestines in. <laughs> it's, which, I think uh, I can put it back in. <laughs> God, it was yeah, so Which, awful. again, is just so, so ridiculous. And people suffering, you know, terrible injuries and still being able to give monologues. Yeah. And I got to say, uh, I know you don't like Ben Stiller, but I thought he, the sequence where he is playing Speedman trying to cry mm -hmm. is so uncomfortable and so well done. It actually takes a pretty decent actor to pretend to be that bad an actor. Mm. Or you just hire a bad actor and you're all set. <laughs> Initially, yes. Well, that whole opening sequence, at first it's played straight, right? We don't know they're filming yeah. a movie. Um, and it feels like every Hollywood war movie, like Max said. And then when they're in the middle, they're the close-up, and it's the two characters. And I'm gonna cut you you're my brother. That's what he's trying to get out while he's supposedly crying or not crying to yeah. That's where the scene stops. And he's like, Can we stop this? And you pull back. And one of the funniest things is you can see there was a helicopter hovering, and Jack Black's <laughs> character was like, you know, repelling on the rope, you know, trying to be pulled in. And when they haul cut, he just sort of lets go, and he's just hanging there, and he's just like, hey. You can see wires, yeah. <laughs> What's the, going the, this on? This harness is going up my crack. Can you let me down? <laughs> and that that moment where you see the magic is literally pulled away is mm. actually pretty funny. Um, and and it, that's when you suddenly see what a pain in the ass the, the actors are. They're all, like, yeah. complaining about everything and whining. And, yeah. You know, uh, Speedman is, is basically really uncomfortable because he knows Lazarus is a better actor than he is. And is outacting him, or at least he's supposed to be a better actor than he is. Right. Yeah, I will say this is also one of those places where you say ninety million dollars. That opening scene, oh, they spent most of it right here. Yeah, that was at least <laughs> half the budget right there. It was huge. I mean, there's helicopters flying around. There's tons of fake bullets. There's a botched on purpose. Well, not on purpose in within the yeah. context of the film, but there is a botched sequence where fighter jets fly over and basically the entire field explodes in fire yeah. and fireballs and, and 
tuna and all <laughs> tuna paper bags and lint. Uh, and it's obviously that this is a ridiculous, like this is the budget you would spend on that kind of movie, not on a comedy. And I will give them credit that, and that's, this is where Steve Coogan first pops up as uh, Mr. Cockburn. <laughs> and uh, I honestly and didn't throwing, recognize him. I, I've seen him in a few things. He looks very different. He, and he does. does they, they, he, he has this wonderful, he plays these two sides of this one character that somehow fit this, I am absolutely controlled, what the hell is wrong with you? And then I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, his character is really interesting, which is, and again, this is a big spoiler, why it's such a surprise when he dies 20 minutes into the movie. Oh, Max, people explode all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that, I have to say, the first time I saw this movie, that caught me completely flat-footed. Because part of the plot is he's so, t- like I said, he's so tired of the egos, and he, he can't control the movie at all. He's going to get shut down. Uh, there is a sequence where he's having a video conference with everyone in front with uh, Le- Les Grossman, and Les says, okay, which one of you is the key grip? Guy raises his hand and says, go, go punch the director in the face really hard. <laughs> and he does. And he does. Yeah. Because the guy is, you look at, you honestly... In that moment, I'm like, that is the most interesting character in the movie, that guy who's playing the key grip. I want to know about him. Look at him. He's an older guy. He's obviously been doing this forever. He knows. He doesn't hesitate because he anyone else would go, you're joking, right? But no, he knows Grossman is serious, and he knows if he doesn't do it, he'll get fired. I'm like, I want to know more about that guy. And, of course, he's one of two actual black characters in the film. Yes. And he doesn't yes. have a single line. All he does is... No, no, he does. He says, it's my job, and he punches mm-hmm. him in the yeah. face. Yeah, or he yeah. says, sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then there's you know Nick Nolte, who's sort of <laughs> trying to channel Robert Shaw from Jaws. Is that what that as was? L- kind of. <laughs> my note was, is it Nick Nolte, or is it Wolfman Jack? <laughs> It's, yeah. <laughs> hey, I maybe mean, it's tonight on the radio. We're going to play some really loud thing. Yeah, look, Nick Nolte has <laughs> ravaged his voice over the years. and He already sounds like he's gargling hot asphalt, but he really leans into that in this. To the point, it's actually hard to understand him yeah. at a number of points. And he's supposed to be this grizzled Vietnam vet. He has, no, he has hooks for both hands. He wrote the book, and he's telling the director, you know, these guys, you got to make them afraid. You got to take them away from all this. You got to dump them in the jungle, and film just film them there. You know, just hide cameras. The the idea is actually pretty interesting. And if they had actually you know planned anything and didn't had any idea what they were doing or where they were, it might have worked. As it is, of course, within the you know as soon as they land, he says, "Let's go," and he steps on an old French landmine and blows up. Kabin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that's the uh, that was the end of uh, Steve Coogan for the movie. And then of course it turns out that uh Four Leaf is a fraud. He has hands, the hooks are just things he 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 wears for to get sympathy. And uh he was never in Vietnam. He was in the army, but he was in the Coast Guard and he was a garbage man. Yeah. So a sanitation officer. Excuse me, sanitation officer. It's important. Yeah. Uh, and so it's this film, uh, one of my earliest notes is this f- film seems determined to make you uncomfortable from the start and uncomfortable also then translates into offending various people. So we get to offend, um, Vietnam vets. We get to offend people who are actually in some way, um, what's the word I want? Cause it's, I want the correct word. We don't use handicapped, uh, disabled. 
or differently Mentally abled, able. differently abled. Um, and we have Robert Downey Jr. And we'll get to him because we're going to probably oh, take we some will. time. But then, of course, we get to the Asian the people of the film. But luckily, this film treats the Asian people with dignity <laughs> and respect. I can't even say <laughs> You couldn't even. How did you even get that far through the sentence? I don't know. No. Uh, every, all the Asian people that we see are all members. I don't, I think almost all of them are just members of this gang. Right. Because that's all drug- Asian people do is make uh, opium oh, yeah. and heroin and whatever. And they all live in the jungle and they only have one video to watch. And it's um, Stupid Ben. What the hell was the it's name of the movie? It's Simple Jack. Yeah, Simple yeah, Stupid that, Ben. Yes, that's, that's one of the sort of twists is... Not surprisingly, the actors all get, or at least several of them, get captured by the flaming dragons. Mm. But first, uh, which is, uh, it's Ben. I'm sorry, it's uh, Tug Drywall, Tug. whatever his name is. Yeah, Tug gets captured, and it turns out that these these guys are huge fans of his terrible movie, Simple Jack. This was the movie that, in the within the the world of the movie, was labeled one of the worst movies of all time. It's his attempt to do Forrest Gump, or. <laughs> It's, it's more like what if Jerry Lewis did Forrest Gump. Yeah, kind of, and only without well. any talent or any comedy. Yeah, and like really just like over the top making fun of differently abled people. Yeah, and it's clearly someone who never did any research, doesn't know anything about actual behaviors, and it's that whole, you know, magic idiot thing. Right. The guy like, oh, because in this apparently Simple Jack can talk to animals. Uh, the one thing I will say as a parody or satire that the simple Jack portion of this film actually works pretty well because it really does shine the light on the fact that Hollywood loves to take something like this and spotlight it so they can make money. So they're really exploiting it. And in this case, they're showing how, and this it this didn't work, but it's also we know it's supposed to be Forrest Gump. We and then he they mention all or of one the other of films, them, or I Am and, Sam, or yeah, right. all the ones because as they say, if you if uh, you're a guy a man and you, you want to try to get an Oscar in Hollywood, you play you play someone with a handicap. You play right. mentally disabled. You play physically disabled. And you right. it was a very mercenary, exploitative. Uh, method that is still used let's not kid ourselves right and And that whole thing where that whole speech that kirk lazarus gives about going full retard you don't go full retard and it's it actually lays it right out he says yeah you want to get an oscar you can't go full retard because look forrest gump kind of slow but he's a war hero you know you ever heard of a retarded war hero like, geez, Louise, but he's like, no, you can't, you went full retard, that's why, and uh, what does he, he point out, um, Sean Penn. Sean Penn, yeah. He went full retard, he walked away empty-handed on Oscar night. He he did get one thing wrong, he said that's why Peter Sellers won. Peter Sellers did not win for being there. He got nominated, he did not win. And also, just so anybody, before anybody writes this or anything, Max is yeah. quoting the film. Max does not it use is. that word. That's the only yes, reason we're I using it all is it's quoting from the film. And it's used a lot. And to be movie. fair, as a way of satire, it does work because it, it is, is pointing out how crass Hollywood tends to be when it comes to people who are differently abled. Instead of, again, telling their story 
or letting their story speak for itself, they're using it as ways to gain sympathy and gain Oscar votes. Yeah, it's so. just seen as, very, as an asset, as something to be utilized to uh, gain audience sympathy. And it's, it's pretty offensive. And I got to say, the movie makes that clear. Yes, the problem is, and this is sadly true of satire in general, people don't tend to get it anymore. And so people just laugh at it. It's like, oh, look at him acting like, you know, somebody who's differently abled. Uh, that's funny. They don't think, oh, he's making fun of the fact that Hollywood is using this in a horrible way. Um, and that's why you keep seeing people who use satire and irony getting into trouble. Because it's like, I thought you were smart enough to figure out that I was being sarcastic. And people aren't in general these days. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily in this political climate the best way to get your point across, but it's kind of sad that things like satire and irony aren't nearly as acceptable as they used to be because they used to be really good ways of making you feel uncomfortable about something of which you feel should feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah that's a point. I mean, there are some parts of this movie I, actually, I enjoy. I like every scene with Les Grossman. I think Tom Cruise is frigging hilarious. Even though I have to say it doesn't hold up terribly well because he's so over the top and so offensive, so foul mouthed. It he's really very cartoonish. Yeah. But some of it I still like when they real when the uh, his agent when Speedman's agent uh, Peck played by Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Is in the office and he's they realize that Peck, that. Tugman is Tug is being held by this gang, and they're asking for ransom. And he he yells at Grossman, "They're gonna kill him!" And there's this long pause, and Grossman just looks at him and goes, "And yeah, it's like ouch! That is both you know it's funny, but it's also yeah, I actually find that completely believable." <laughs> and he then outlines how speedman dying will actually make be better for them financially than if the than the movie because the movie was gonna was gonna lose money and again i'm going oh my god this guy is this monster he's utterly heartless and i completely believe that deep down that's not on that there would be somebody in the room <laughs> at holly at in hollywood thinking exactly that yeah i my feeling was that this was really a broad crude caricature of his role in Magnolia. See our previous huh. episode on Magnolia, um, which is an Oscar worthy performance. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, supporting character, but Tom Cruise to me in that film proves that he can actually act. And to me that forceful over the top performance, and I'm saying it's exactly the same, but it feels like a lot of what he did in Magnolia got blown out of proportion for this. And in some ways it does work. It is a believable character. I didn't find it quite as immersive as you did. I didn't, I, I mean, I could see Tom Cruise all the way through it, which uh -huh. yeah, say what you want. Um, but it is still very well done, including the weird, his weird uh, attempt at rap dancing, especially at the end of the film feels very... Oh, uh in character. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, and I, I think that's hilarious. I love that sequence. It's just so bizarre to watch. Yeah. It's so strange, but, uh, and I, I also even like the minor character, Bill Hader as his suck up as basically the Smithers to his Mr. <laughs> Burns. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. He, and Bill Hader does fine. 
Um, it's nice to see Bill Hader doing something other than what was it, Stefan or whatever that character. Well, he's is. done a ton of stuff besides Stefan, but yeah. yeah. And he's fine. Uh, I actually really like Jay Baruchel. Bar- Jay Baruchel is actually a very necessary, calm moment in a room full of crazy. And yeah, he's not he's... outstanding, but he's yeah. basically playing a young actor who's just sort of, you know, getting out and in, in, into the world of acting. And maybe it's his first big film. And a lot of times he's spent looking around going, what is going on? It, and he... I think uh, uh, the director, Yo Cockburn, sums it up really well when he's dragging him across the party and he just looks at him, looks at... Uh... Brookhell's character, who I can't even remember the character's name. The well, the the in movie character is Kevin Sandusky, and he looks at Sandusky and says, "You actually care about this, don't you?" Yeah. It's like, yes, he does. He's the only one. All of the other actors, they're in it. You know, the Lazarus is all about himself. Speedman's trying to recover his career. Uh, The others all have their own agendas. They don't really give a crap about the movie. Yeah. And Sandusky does. Yeah. Jack Black is Jack Black times 10. <laughs> I think he's pretty funny in this movie. I, a lot of his stuff is, is pretty, I mean, it's very Jack Black. It's just being him. I think it's but actually, I think a lot of it works. I think it's very Chris Farley. When you pointed that out, suddenly it's like, yeah. yeah. And he's not, I don't think he's trying to impersonate Chris Farley, but it's no. definitely one of those cases where if Chris Farley were alive, he'd have been doing that part and you wouldn't have batted an eye. Jack Black brings energy to just about everything he does. Um, and he does it in a way that doesn't feel like spotlight grabbing, which is really cool because that yeah. would have been so easy to do in this film. Um, so, and his character is <laughs> is this very objectionable. Um, he plays his weight as you know is humorous. His crassness, his characters are all about farting, which you know that that's not a bad thing. And he's uh, also <laughs> very clearly has a serious drug problem, right? Because that's funny, and that's um, played for laughs. Right. But Jack Black, I, I can't come away disliking Jack Black for this. There might be other roles he's played, which, you know, maybe we don't like as much, but I didn't dislike Jack Black. And he somehow, as over the top as he was, there wasn't too much of him. Um, it was yeah. very well metered out. Um, ben Stiller. Honestly, he's one of the least Ben Stillers I've seen in his movies, and I didn't really mind him that much. I usually yeah. can't stand him. Um Tug uh, Speedman. Thank you. Tug Speedman um, could have actually been a lot broader than he was. Mm. He's played as not stupid, but not that bright. Um, Well, very not self-aware. He has no self-awareness at all. But he's also playing an action star. And again, that could have easily been way overblown. And I don't think it would have worked, which again makes me wonder. When you said Keanu Reeves, it's like, huh, how would that have gone over? I wonder if Keanu can be that ironic. Like, I I don't know if that would have worked, but he's fine. I don't really mind him that much. He worked out for the role, so that didn't bother me. Uh, You know, he had nice arms. Very impressive arms. But I think we should. Oh, and then we have. I'm sorry. Who's the actor who played um, Brandon um, Jacks? Brandon T. Jackson. Jackson who plays Al Pacino, who is considering <laughs> he's supposed to be this over-the-top rapper stereotype. You know, proto Kanye is remarkably restrained. Yeah, and well, actually, that bring and there's also well, there's a subplot. But there is a subplot that I'm sorry doesn't make any sense. It's thrown in. in. Twor- it is thrown in completely. It could make it could have been really interesting. Yeah. It turns out he's gay. 
No, he's and not. He li- he's not getting. No, he li- he likes the beep. He likes the beep. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. No, he likes the beep. Yes, except at the end, he ends up uh, with Lance Bass from <laughs> what was it? New- uh, in sync or yeah, in sync or I new kids a, on the block. I, no, no, it's in sync. It's in sync. In sync. Yeah, but yeah, literally Lance Bass. We have a number of celebrity cameos playing themselves. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he just sort of. That's the part I, I don't buy. There's very little emotional connection between the, the characters, and there's no sense for a long time that they like each other at all. And at one point. In the last, like, half hour of the movie, they're having this sort of around-the-campfire confessional scene. Yeah. And he basically lets slip that he's gay. That is a... In the, especially considering he's supposed to be, like, a hardcore rapper, that's a big deal, especially in 2008. That... The rap community is not the most welcoming, shall we say, mm. to the LGBTQIA community. There weren't, there aren't, or weren't a lot of gay rappers. I think there's a couple now. Think, yes, Little Nas X is the only one I can think of. But yeah, I think there's one other. I'm one. sure there are a couple, but that's a, that would have been a huge plot point, and it isn't. It's a throwaway. Yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate because it's a real. It would be really interesting. I kind of like the way the other the other characters react. It's something like, "Oh, really? Huh? Yeah." I mean, but let's face it, we've got one main black character. Yeah. And he doesn't have a lot to do. He no. literally has a couple of scenes, and now we're going to get to this because we're getting close to the end anyway. But we have yeah. a couple of scenes where they kind of sort of address the fact that Robert Downey Jr.'s character is playing a character in blackface and surgically yeah. darkened or whatever. I am still surprised that. Al Pacino, yes, it's a play on Al Pacino, <laughs> and they actually point that the out. Whole movie, I kept. What does yeah. Al Pacino have to do? Oh, Al Pacino. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he, when they ask, "Why did you do this movie?" You know, you're a rap star, and he says, "I don't know. Maybe because there was one major black part in this movie, and it went to a white guy." Yeah. Like, yeah. Why isn't he more angry about that? Well, he's just sort of annoyed. And then the scene ends. So like, yeah. that's it. Like they are about to address, and this happens twice, I think. They're about mm. to address the elephant in the room, if you will. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but over here there's an explosion. Or oh, look, a rhino's pooping or something like that. And then we get to... I will, So hmm, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as two roles, one one to the other, is very good. Yeah, he I does think a nice job. He comes off great as the Australian actor, and as he's doing Osiris, it feels very much like what if a white guy were trying to play a black guy? Yeah, you know, with every stereotype from the seventies you could imagine done badly. Mm. And in that respect, he does a really good job. The problem is, I see what the film's trying to do, and it's shining this light on the Osiris character. But does it actually light anything or does it obfuscate mm. anything? Like, That's I don't think it really addresses anything. I think in the end, it's still just something played for laughs. I, I think you're right. I don't think it's just played for laughs. The thing is, the point of the fact that he is a, literally appropriating a black role isn't the the main focus. It's the idea that he no longer knows who he is. 
and he just becomes these characters and has lost himself. So it's really about the white guy. Right. It's about the difficulty he has. Well, one thing one thing I do kind of like is at the end when he pulls off the when he he's falling apart and he pulls off the wig the the, the afro wig and he pulls out the contact lenses and we see that he has blue eyes or really bulbous Robert, blue contact Robert lenses. Downey Jr does not have blue eyes by the no. way he has dark brown eyes and though, so he's actually wearing contact lenses under contact lenses but I I thought that was kind of funny uh but I yeah I think this movie may have been trying to make that point, but they undercut it really right. badly. I think that they missed the mark. I give them points for trying. I don't think that this is. I think this was meant to be a, a, a more of a message, but I think they either got scared or they decided no, we're going to go with this other thing. We're going to make it about the white guy underneath, and it's not going to be about the fact that he's stolen a role that obviously a black actor could have played. And in the time this movie was made, there was no reason for a black actor not to play it. No. I think what would have worked better is if they had had Robert Downey Jr.'s character being the white Australian actor the way he was, and his part was originally smaller, and Al Pacino's part was originally bigger, and what we see is through his machinations, he whittles the size of the character that Al Pacino playing down and substitutes himself. Um, That could have been interesting. Because then you could have had a lot more of interactions, like, why are you taking my lines? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And it would have become much more of a racial or cultural point. And instead, the blackface, like, it doesn't even address the history of that. Yeah. It doesn't even mention, you know, nobody brings up minstrel shows. Nobody brings up Birth of a Nation. Nobody brings up any historical context at all. It's mm. really just, wow, doesn't he look funny and sound funny pretending to be a black guy? Oh, ha, ha, ha. oh yeah. he's got feelings. Well, shh, shh, shh the white guy's talking because yeah. it's, it's really hard being a white guy in Hollywood. <laughs> and some of it is funny, like when he's trying to give an inspirational speech. Yeah. To Al Pacino and and you, Al Pacino and the audience realizes that his speech is the theme song from the Jeffersons. <laughs> yeah, it's and that I mean that does clue in how clueless he's supposed to be as yeah. um, Aussie McWhite guy, but <laughs> it all it does is give us a momentary laugh and does absolutely nothing to address the problem yeah it um, just ignores it, it and I, I think this is less offensive and more of a real missed opportunity yeah i have a real quick question before we get to yeah. the wrap-up because we're getting close yeah. to time um because of it's this this being this series what we're doing was this whitewashing i don't think so because the character in this movie the char- is supposed to be a white man playing a black man that's the whole basis of the character yeah. It's not like this was a black character that a white guy played. No, in effect, this is kind of metatextual in that this is, whether they, they didn't go very far with it, but the movie is about whitewashing, at least on that one small point. It's about it, and it, it totally doesn't it address does, it. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay. I, I just also want to say the ending of the movie, the last 20 minutes, it just goes off the rails. In what it, way? The, it, it decides we're not going to be a comedy. We're suddenly a comedy action movie. 
Okay. There's guns blazing and and real allegedly explosions and actual physical danger. And honestly, that's really it doesn't work. It's okay. jarring. Well, then they throw things in like um uh Robert Downey, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Ben Siller's character yeah. Tug Slabhard uh throwing a small <laughs> child into a river. And that's where we get the second scream. Yeah, that's the other Wilhelm scream. Yep. Um, so it's yeah, we're and of course nobody's actually getting hurt, and we yeah. have all the Asian people being stereotypical Asian people. I mean, yep. I'm surprised there wasn't a laundry there because that would have been like the only thing they didn't do, except for the glasses and the buck teeth or whatever. Um, just no respect to Asian people at all. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm done with my notes. Shall we get to the uh, wrap up? Uh, I did, I did kind of, I had a note here saying Deus Ex McConaughey. Real quick. Only film I've ever seen him in where he didn't steal the movie. I would say this is an adequate Matthew McConaughey performance, which is weird because I didn't know he could do just adequate. Yeah. It's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with nothing. He wasn't supposed to play the part actually. That was supposed to be Owen Wilson. Oh, thank God! But yeah, <laughs> Owen. Wil- but Owen Wilson. Oh, had that's some... really weird. I, wow. I wasn't available. Wow, Tug Speedman, guy, you're just like Ben Stiller. You know, it's like you're playing a totally different guy. Wow. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Don't be. <laughs> All right, now the end. The roundup. So, Max. Had you yeah. seen this when it came out? I did. I saw it in the theater. And, and I, I really in, when I saw it the first time, I really didn't like it. Okay. What it didn't was, you like about it? It was loud, annoying, and the thing that really got me was and it took me a while to realize the whole movie is one big Hollywood in joke. Mm-hmm. All of the, a lot of the humor, a lot of the jokes and a lot of the setup you have to know, like, oh, they're making fun of this kind of movie. Oh, he's making fun of this executive. Oh, look, they're making jokes about, uh, you know, uh, after, after uh, oh, God, whatever you call the after pro- profits, something like that, the net oh, versus the yep. gross. They're making all these jokes that are, f- that it's like, oh, aren't we cute? We're making jokes for ourselves. Mm. And it's really annoying. <laughs> Some of it I really like. Some of it I think is really funny. It's so uneven. Yeah. I, I think it's all over the place. It couldn't quite decide what it was going to be. And it, it's as there are almost no likable characters. Jay Baruchel, sure, but he has about 15 lines. And we're supposed to end up liking the others, but why? Yeah. We're not really given a reason to. No. Everything happens too easily and too fast. Yeah. What about you? What did you think? You, I don't think you'd seen this before, had you? Uh, no. You know why I hadn't seen it. Yeah, you don't like that Ben Stiller fellow. I don't. Um, and there's just something about him that just annoys me. And even when he's in films that he doesn't do, because I've seen some of his film, because I saw that there's something about Mary when that came out. I remember liking it, although that has gross-out humor in it as well. He's sort of like... Then he would do things like, not Bruno, what was the name of that stupid... Um, oh, Zoolander. Zoolander. So, like, what happened to Apparently me, that's very funny. Apparently, mm. I won't see it. But it's, it looks to me like what happens is Ben Stiller started off on this sort of quirky, gross-out 
humor kind of movie and then just kept going, ramping it higher and higher and higher till we get to this. And this is a very Ben Stiller film. If you like Ben Stiller, my feeling is you'll probably like this film because it felt very much like a Ben Stiller film only. Here's the problem. Ben Stiller does not know how to wield satire. And I say that because by satirizing some of the stuff he does, he just ends up doing it. So by <laughs> satirizing gross out humor, he just provides it. Like the whole, the fart family, whatever they call it, the fatties or whatever it is. Mm, yeah. As you said, you could believe that they would make this movie. I'm amazed they haven't. Yeah. Right? I'm sure someone was think was suggesting it about a month afterwards. Um, I mean, who, the, the guy, the people who made Freddy got fingered. See our previous episode, Freddy got fingered. Uh, no, wait, or, don't, or don't, don't. Our, don't see our previous episode. <laughs> yeah, Freddy got really, fingered. really don't. Um, it's, so it's like, look how, isn't this horrible? Except that all he does is is do a version of it. So when we're talking about the gross out effects in war movies and how overblown they are, he just ends up doing it. And you don't really laugh so much as squirm and go, yuck, can you please move the camera aside? So we don't have to keep watching Jay Baruchel playing with his own intestines, even as if no one they're fake doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then later when we see actual, supposedly actual people getting shot and exploded and stuff, uh, I guess it's funny then satire should be something that, when it's wielded, you know it's satire, and in itself is not the thing it's making fun of. Otherwise, to me, it loses its its edge. Um, and uh, satire should be really witty. It should be really biting. And this isn't. Um, the whole yeah. racist part of this film doesn't get addressed. I mean, never mind the, the racist depictions of Asian people, because there's plenty of that. Yeah. Um, as you pointed out, there's no women. And again, I just think that shows that women were smart. And every woman in Hollywood said, no, I'm not going to be in this, except for the, the one secretary. And she's like, yeah, but you're going to pay me or not, and I'm going to have one line. Uh, and nobody touches me. Um, <clears throat> I, it's, it's basically, it ends up being, because of that last 20 minutes, like you pointed out, it ends up being a film about how tough it is to be a white guy. Yeah, in, in and again, Hollywood. and how hard it is to work in Hollywood, and shouldn't we feel bad for these people? Right. Just talking about the inside jokes, there is one woman character, I forgot, with a line, and that is in the Simple Jack movie. All right. The woman playing Jack's mother. Sally Field. Who is, by the way, Christine Stiller. That is Ben's wife. Ah. So his wife is playing his mother in that movie. That's not weird. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, that's weird. And also, here's a real stretch. You know, the uh, Satan's Alley preview. Yeah. Where uh, Tobey Maguire and uh, Robert Downey Jr. play lovers, they were they did play lovers in another movie called Wonder Boys. Oh, aha, yeah, no, no one's gonna know that. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't either. It was it, except it. I found it on a trivia page. Huh. Yeah. So hmm. again, it's just such an insider's movie. Hmm. So yeah, it not only it makes you feel uncomfortable, but then doesn't do anything with it. So yeah, there's not much resolution. Yeah, it, yeah it, if you it, it had a lot of money, if you like Ben Stiller, you'll probably like it. Uh, there's yeah. some decent parts to it, but eh. yeah, on the whole, I don't think it holds up. But could yeah. you uh, bring up our poll question and refresh people's memories on how they can I contact could. us with their cool answers? Yes, is there any comedy you've seen, any comedy movie that you laughed so hard at your face physically hurt? And what was it? Let us know, would you? And how would you let how would you let us know you say? I don't hear you. Uh, how would you let us know? Thank you. 
Mike there speaking for the voice of millions. Uh, you key. can, of course, simply email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. You can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment. Uh, you can chat with us. You can communicate with us through the social medias, although, you know, through Facebook or the Twitters, through Max Mike Movies, although we really, it'd be really nice if you would just do it through the comments on the webpage. It's just easier to compile them that way. <laughs> or email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. You know, Excellent. as always, you can find us on uh, your favorite podcast app. And uh, we are also available if you look behind you right now. <laughs> too too late. We mo- you moved. We're not there. Or are we? <laughs> yeah. So now I know our next series, by the way, is going to be a fifteen film series on the works of Ben Stiller. But before we get to that series, oh, it so is not. No, <laughs> no, yep. no. Total. Yep, going to be a Ben Fillerathon. Ben Stillerathon. <laughs> no, it is not. Yep, yep. And we're possibly throwing some Owen Wilson movies too. Oh well, actually, that's the same thing. Um, but until we get to that fascinating uh, oeuvre, what are we watching next week? A movie. My horror, horror. No, so. Uh, we're, we're trying to spread the love around. And so we've, uh, we've talked about, uh, Asian misappropriation. We did a little, uh, Native American misappropriation this week. We did a little sort of kind of, if you hold your head sideways and cough, um, yeah. black app- uh, misappropriation. We thought we'd move into the Hispanic community next week in a movie that probably no one has heard of. To be fair, I've never seen it. Me neither. Um, it is a uh, film that has a main character who is a, uh, Chicano, at least that's how it's said in the film. Um, now, Max, this is the seventies; it's late seventies. Mm-hmm. Who would you get to play that role? Late seventies Hispanic actor. Ooh, I don't know, Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, that's a good choice. Edward thinking, James Olmos. I was thinking uh, maybe Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, Freddie, oh, no, Freddie Prince, Prince, not Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince, Prince C. Yeah, not yeah. Freddie Prince Freddy Jr. Prince. at that point, or um, Hector Elizondo as a young man. I yeah. bet he would have been good. Those sounds like great ideas. How about Robbie yeah. Benson? What? You know, ice castles. No, no, no. Robbie Benson was, uh, he, he, he's Native American. I saw that in, uh, what is it, that, that movie about the runner. He's not Hispanic. Um, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. He's Jewish. He was in uh, The Chosen. He's No, he's actually the Beast. The voice of the Beast was Robbie right, Benson. Right. Famous Hispanic actor, Robbie, Robbie Benson. Benson. The, um, the movie in uh, question is a fellow- gang film and it's late 70s so we know how violent that's going to be not very uh it is a film again i've never seen only heard of as it too was a film nominated for a golden turkey award for worst portrayal of a non-white character by a white actor robbie benson in a film called walk proud and luckily for you it is rentable so unlike a couple of the films in this series where basically uh you had to somehow have it on 78 um (laughs) you could rent this on wax cylinders (laughs) right or we just bang two rocks together uh so if you would like to avoid walk proud like i'm sure most of you do Next week, you can just listen to us talking about it and how Hispanic it really is. See, amigo. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 